Welcome to the Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series. In this episode, we meet the Irish nurses who migrated to Liverpool. We hear the stories about how they came to settle in the Merseyside city, nicknamed the capital of Ireland. I remember the Beatles before I left Ireland and my brother. We were looking at these four lads on the way must have had a television. And then when I was going to Liverpool, I thought, this is wonderful. I'll see these four boys. Because um, I feel with being here so long, uh, I'm accepted. You know, you, know, you don't get uh, any discrimination you know, uh, in Liverpool. It was awful, I was bunked downstairs, it was like a cattle boat. I never stopped crying. My sister said to me one day, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to send you home. The active recruitment campaign launched by the NHS in Ireland attracted thousands of Irish men and women with the offer of free training, accommodation and the chance to earn a wage during their nurse training. And of course you had to have black lace-up shoes and black stockings. And they all had seams up the back, didn't they? And you had to have them straight, your seams had to be straight. And if you had a ladder in them or a hole in them, oh, you were in real trouble. The Irish connection, because everybody went to to Liverpool and then went on to America, or didn't go to America and stayed in Liverpool. With my husband at ballroom dancing lessons at the Odeon Cinema in Liverpool, we learned together And of course, it was ideal for, you know, the rest of our lives to dance. 2023 marks the 75th anniversary of Britain's National Health Service. Since its establishment in 1948, there was a huge demand for nurses as it was being rolled out across the country, particularly in the 1950s. I was looking after my dad and then when he died, I decided I needed to do something else. After training in special needs nursing in Ireland for three years, Bridget, not her real name, liked nursing so much that she decided to come to Liverpool and do her general nurse training. And when that was finished, I liked the sick ward so much. You know, they had a sick ward for babies and children and I liked that so much I decided to do my general, but decided to come to Liverpool to do that, general nursing. Uh, Because, A, because I just needed to see a bit more of the world because I felt quite limited really in experience of you know what was going on outside my own particular area so I came to Liverpool all alone (laughs) on a boat and slept on the floor and arrived at the pier head (laughs) with this trunk and got a taxi all the way to Birkenhead because I was going to train in Birkenhead the reason for that being that they didn't ask for an interview. I was just given a position you know, to train for, for general nursing, the RGN. And uh, so that's where I ended up in Birkenhead, in the nurse's home, full of Irish nurses, and had a lovely time, a whale of a time. They're looking after me. Uh, so I started my training there, and I... Really, I loved it. I just loved nursing so much. I loved the general nursing. But I'm still intrigued to know why you came to Liverpool because, you know, there were lots of nurses at that time or young girls at that time going to London. Why did you decide on Liverpool? Where did that come from? Uh, The Irish Connection, I guess, to do with the Irish Connection because everybody went to, to Liverpool and then went on to America or didn't go to America and stayed in Liverpool. 
I think it was the nearest thing to Ireland <laughs> and it was easy to get across on the boat. Arriving in the early 60s, the Liverpool social and music scene associated with the Beatles was being projected onto the world stage. It would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be there in the middle of it all. But what did it feel like for this young girl just off the boat from Ireland? Well, my memories, first of all, I remember the Beatles before I left Ireland and my brother. We were looking at these four lads on the way must have had a television. And I remember our reaction then and we thought... And then when I was going to Liverpool, I thought, this is wonderful. I'll see these four boys. I'll see these four lads. And I'll go dancing in the cavern, etc. We did go, but not very often, to the cavern because I didn't like it. Instead, she socialised with her own people in the Irish clubs. It felt familiar and safe. And maybe because I had a support group around me in my peer group. And uh, we went out together and things like that, socialising. Maybe that was the reason. I didn't go to pubs or anything like that. We went to the Irish Centre, mostly went to the Irish Centre. And uh, we, all, we went to the other dance halls as well. But I seemed to be maybe with my peer group more. As an Irish nurse migrant, Bridget doesn't hesitate when she says that she felt both welcome and accepted by the people of Liverpool. But, uh, no, was treated very well and we were very well respected in those days as well. If you were an Irish nurse or a nurse in a way, you were really thought well of, highly of, and, and uh, accepted and expected to know everything. And everybody wanted to, you know, ask something about their illness and things like that. Uh, and I still do, 20 years later after retiring. But um, we were treated very well. I couldn't see anything, any, I can't recall any instance where I wasn't treated well at all. It actually felt easier to live in her adopted hometown of Liverpool than it was in her native town in Northern Ireland at the height of the Troubles. Mm. Yes, we did have quite traumatic times at, at times and I tried to be at home when I was needed and things like that. But Because I went to school in Ireland with a mixed, it was a mixed school, Catholic and Protestant. But in the troubled times... Obviously, there was that division, and there was people I went to school with stopping me and asking me my name and stuff like that. But we survived, and we just got on with it. It didn't stop us doing anything. If I went home for holiday, I went to the Cayley dances and the Irish dancing, as well as the social dancing. Usually did that, and we would have problems being stopped in church and all that, all the time, all the time, until... 80s really, mm. the 80s, before it all stopped really. But in this country it didn't bother in Liverpool. I mean, everybody you meet is Irish descent, everybody. Yeah. And somebody from round the corner. <laughs> and even today the students, there's a university, Hope University, at the top of my road. And the Northern Ireland students are just, they're all there. Yeah, there's still a lot of Northern Irish particularly come over here. Even though the nurse training was tough, it didn't put her off. I just remember I loved it all. I just loved every bit of it. It was tough and student nurses particularly got a hard time to start with until you proved your worth. And, and um, so I just, I just loved it so much. I just did everything I was told. <laughs> I just did everything. And I studied as well. But we did have fun 
because they all, they all are Irish girls were there and we had a lot of fun as well and at that time as well which never happened since you could play tricks on each other and all sorts and the doctors would join in and all that it was just different so different from from current trends and things like that Bridget pursued a career in nurse education and went on to teach future generations of nurses at a local university. I always wanted to be a nurse. It sounded very interesting in that. Rita was just 17 years old when she travelled to Liverpool in 1954 as a cadet nurse. And then somebody that had just come over here to Liverpool, we got talking to her and myself and two other girls decided to come over with her. It was all arranged for us anyway. We were only young girls, like, you know. We wouldn't have known where to go or anything like that. We'd never been before to Liverpool or anywhere like that. So we, we that's how we started off as a cadet, with the nuns and that. Do you remember the journey? I do. It was awful, that, yeah, and horrible. <laughs> the monks and the, we, we couldn't get... Did we get a seat coming over? I can't remember whether we did or not. There were only, like, benches. Benches? And, yeah. And, and or did we have a bunks? There's bunks downstairs. Yeah. So I remember them as well. It was like a cattle boat, didn't it? Yeah. It was a cattle boat, was it? Yeah, yeah. 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 It wasn't very nice, but now we came into Liverpool and there's all fog and everything, <laughs> you know, it's awful. It wasn't very exciting then at that time. Recovering from the traumatic journey across the Irish Sea in the cattle boat, it was an emotional experience for Rita. I was very nervous, yeah. I mean, we hadn't been anywhere, so I was very nervous of everything, really. But because I had the other girls with me, it wasn't so bad, like, really, between us, like, we we managed all right, so... Like Rita and Bridget before her, Annie also travelled over from Ireland to Liverpool on the cattle boat. It was 1963, and she was only 17 and a half. I came on the boat, and the boats at that time came into Birkenhead, and they used to call them the cattle boats. Yeah? Were there any cattle on them? Oh, yes. yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, there were yes. cattle. Oh, yeah, yeah, loads of cattle on them. Mm. Yeah, very little people on them, but mm. lots of cattle on them. And now, whether I came with my sister, or whether she came and met me off the boat in Birkenhead, I'm not sure. But she thinks, I asked her, and she thinks she came and met me and that I actually came on the boat on my own. So this was your first time away yeah. from home? Yeah. Yeah. So a big and adventure. I hated it. I never stopped crying. My sister said to me one day, if you don't stop crying, I'm going to send you home. It did take a while. When I went to PTS, I settled, because there was a lot of Irish girls in, the, in our PTS. Mm. And I think maybe then was when I settled. When Rita first arrived, she and her friends couldn't wait to get stuck into the Liverpool social scene. But the nuns had other ideas. We went to a place called the Shamrock. It's all Irish there. And the stone steps up into it and all that. But once the nuns found out that we were going there, that finished. We were stopped and straight away without going there. Rita worked as a psychiatric nurse in Liverpool until she got married. She then spent the rest of her life working as a volunteer with the Red Cross as a first aid instructor. During this phase of her life, she gave birth to six children. I also did the Red Cross too, uh, taking children on holiday, you know, for the world, and also did it for adults as well. Disabled people, people haven't got much to do with that. We used to do that every year as well. 
the boys helped as well with that too. And that's, yeah. mm. Was yeah. it all sons you had, Rita? Yeah. Six sons. Yeah. Wow, you were the only woman in the house. I know, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> it was only eight years between them, not very long between them. Rita, you must have been a very busy woman with six little boys, yeah. all within eight years of each other. Mm-hmm. So at one point you had six children under the age of eight, yeah. all boys. I yeah. imagine they were quite lively. Yeah. And yet you continued working. So were you working full-time or part-time and how did you manage? Uh, I just got on with it anyway. Rita devoted most of her life up to the age of 70 working as a volunteer with adults and children with disabilities in the Wirral. She was rewarded for this community work. I was involved in something all the time here. Yeah. I've been to Buckingham Palace twice. I was invited to work in the community. I run uh, caravans, Red Cross caravans, mm-hmm. big caravans. A few years I take a group of children, all sorts of medical reasons and that, on holiday. Um, once a year, two weeks holiday. Mm-hmm. One of the weeks was to take the children to home holiday with another girl, adults from all of Liverpool, you know, so I did that as well. And so I was always, always busy right through, and I mean, I never stopped until I was 70. I loved nursing. I would always stay with nursing in whatever way it was, but I wouldn't have anything else. I wouldn't do any other thing in my career at all. For both Annie and Rita, the uniform holds a special place in their memory. Well, we had the purple uniform and you had a belt, but it was the belt of the uniform. It wasn't like the other belts because when we were in PTS, we didn't have aprons. And, of course, you had to have black lace-up shoes and black stockings. And they all had seams up the back, didn't they? And you had to have them straight. Your seams had to be straight. And if you had a ladder in them or a hole in them, oh, you were in real trouble, yeah. And later on, when you got aprons, when you went to the hospital after your three months in PTS, you got your apron. And then you got a belt, a proper belt or something, a blue belt, I remember. And, you know, when the button fell off the back of your apron, if you put a pin in it, well, when the deputy matron would come round, she'd check the back of your apron to see if you had, yeah. And, of course, then I think it was when you passed your finals, you got your cuffs, you got little cuffs for hair. I think as the years changed, you got a different coloured uniform, if, if I can remember. Well, you used to always have hats as well, starched, oh, yeah. starched oh, yeah. hats. You had the square hats, didn't you? But, of course, some of the sisters and things wore them huge, big hats. Yeah. Big wafers. Yes, yeah. Annie followed the path taken by her three older sisters to do her nurse training. Then, two years later, in 1965, Rita, her younger sister, joined her in Liverpool to train as a nurse as well. Our older sisters had gone nursing, mainly because there was nothing else they could do. It was the common thing. It was the family background. You know, we were a big family in very poor times, little money around. You see, my father had the farm in Roscommon, and there was all these children around, And I think, to be honest with you, this nursing seemed to be a good thing. And my mother and father were very happy because the other girls had been nursing and they'd come back and they'd seen them and they were happy for us to go as well. Mm. And I think we just followed one from the other pretty much. That's really what happened. 
Anne arrived in Liverpool in 1956 at the age of 23. Unlike the other Irish migrants, nursing didn't come into the picture at that stage. He decided to move to Liverpool to join his family, who were already there. I didn't uh, exactly come over here to train as a nurse. After settling into Liverpool and getting a job, John began to think about training as a nurse. I knew some nurses, you know, and uh, I just thought, you know, I might give it a go. That's, you know, the main reason, really, you know. Mm. In the army, I was a tailor. Well, I, I had the job here as a tailor for a while with the, um, the bus company used to repairing and altering uniforms and things like that. For the bus company in yeah. Liverpool? and uh, I worked there for a while and then in uh, 1964 I, I seen this advert and I decided to move down. In 1964? Yeah, so you'd already been here for eight years at oh, that yes, point? Yeah, oh, yeah, right, so yeah, it wasn't yeah. a sudden decision. Oh, no, no, no. Right, so, so 1964 I moved down. John was going from being a tailor to training as a psychiatric nurse. He took the change in his stride. Oh yes, yeah. I got into it quite well. As a matter of fact, nursing has changed now, training, and now a lot of it is done in university. You know, it's so considered a university course. But then it was hands-on, on the ward, and then block training. You know, every so often we get two or three weeks uh, academic type of training. Uh, and uh, that, that went on for uh, three years. You know. Ireland was well represented not only in the training hospital but also on the football pitch. Most of the male nurses were Irish. In fact, I played soccer a lot, you know. We had a team there, we were in the local league. And then once in Patrick's, I thought, because I was captain of the team then, you know, I thought it was a good idea to have a game between the Irish and the English on Patrick's Day for a bit of entertainment. <laughs> We have yeah, to ask yeah. who won. Uh, it was an honourable draw. An honourable <laughs> draw. Oh, an honourable draw. I love that. After completing his psychiatric nurse training, John settled back into Liverpool and worked in psychiatry for a number of years before going back to study again, this time to do his general nurse training. No, I only stayed there for a few years and then um, I decided to do a general. I, I got my mental health ticket, uh, yeah. RMN, registered mental nurse, and I wanted to get the uh, general room. So uh, I uh, applied to go to uh, Liverpool and had a trained school there. You know. Well, even before I left uh, Liverpool Hospital, uh, I believe most of the female staff were Irish, because it was more difficult to become a student in Ireland than it was here. Um, but, uh, and that's why there was quite a lot of... Uh, Irish uh, in the hospital, so, you know, yeah. students, anyway, you know. And yeah. how have people responded to you throughout your career as a male nurse? Yeah. Oh, they responded quite well, you know. Especially in psychiatry, as well as uh, male nurse. I think the uh, outnumbered female nurse. You know, but in general, obviously, the female outnumbered the male. I think people accept it now, you know, well, down the years. But then again, you could say to say about doctors, about 50 years ago, there was very few female doctors. But mm. now there's as many as, as male, isn't there? That's the way progress goes, I suppose, one way or the other. Approaching the late 70s and early 80s, heightened political tensions between Ireland and Britain gave way to the Northern Ireland Troubles. Some of the nurses spoke about how the Northern Ireland troubles impacted them, in contrast to Bridget, who recalled feeling safer in Liverpool than in her native Northern Ireland. It was a different story for John. 
Well, the main thing is, as you know, in the late 70s and 80s, there was a lot of trouble in Northern Ireland, wasn't it? And I think some of the Irish got a bit of a backlash from people because of that, you know, self-included, you know, making little slurs about Irish, you know, because of the troubles there, you know. Well, on one particular instance, this woman on the ward I was working, she made it that I was to blame for it, you know. You she were made to blame. slight remarks, you know, about the situation, you know, IRA bombings and that, you know. I think the Irish got a lot of stick from that time, you know. Notwithstanding the anti-Irish undercurrents felt during the Northern Ireland Troubles, John also struggled with the local Scouse accent and the locals had trouble understanding him as well. Well, it was strange at first. With my accent, people were, what did you say, Paddy? Everybody called you Paddy then. <laughs> it's a no good protesting. That was the way it was. You know. And I had to repeat myself all the time. And I thought a bit of Liverpool accent rubbed off on me. <laughs> I found it very strange and the Liverpool accent. You know, I couldn't understand. They couldn't understand me. You know. John is now in the 10th decade of his life. He came to Liverpool when he was in his early 20s. That was over 70 years ago. Does it feel like home now? Because um, I feel with being here so long, uh, I'm accepted. You know, you, know, you don't get uh, any discrimination you know, uh, in Liverpool. And there's so many Irish people here. I'm in the Irish club mainly at weekends, so I'm mixing still with Irish people. You know. And um, although uh, people who go there are mainly second and third generation Irish, but um, they all muck in, we all accept them as, you know, there's no discrimination between born Irish or second and third generation Irish. And I always say, if it wasn't for second generation Irish, we wouldn't have the club, because they're more active in organising us. You know? mm. So, uh, you know, we get on very well, everyone. And uh, I like going there at the weekend, watch the football uh, from Ireland and big matches and that, you know. And uh, on the first Thursday and the third Thursday, the one we have what we call an afternoon tea dance. And uh, we have um, an entertainer, singer, and playing the guitar or the rocks. Yeah. And uh, it's quite well attended, you know. I need to do my SEN, which is what I went through all my nursing life, which was great. And I thought, oh, my training now, I thought, oh, good now, don't be worrying about it, Bob. You're mixed with people, so you've got the, the number one, you know. And we were all the same age as well, it was lovely. And uh, we were resident. The offer of free accommodation was the deal maker for the thousands of Irish nurses recruited by Britain's NHS. The nurse's home, as it was called, was usually a high-rise building attached to or located in the grounds of the training hospital. It consisted of single rooms on several floors, including a kitchenette, a restroom or TV room on the ground floor of the building. It would remind you of an army barracks, with a home matron usually with eyes in the back of her head. But for many Irish nurses like Annie and Margaret, it was home away from home. And it was just beautiful. The house was lovely and we all had our own bedrooms or maybe we shared a room with one person. Um, like, we'd come from having five people in a room. 
All the residency was fantastic. We didn't have to worry about being fed or watered or anything, really. And because we were all Irish as well, we all fitted in. And we went to our dancing and all the places. And, you know, you could go down to, to Liverpool, get the bus and live safe. So it was a great life. And it was while living in the nurse's home that Margaret found her own ballroom of romance, upstairs in the Liverpool Odeon Cinema, no less. With my husband at um, ballroom dancing lessons at the Odeon Cinema in Liverpool. And they had a room upstairs. And because I was in the nurse's home on my own at the time, or there was another girl joined me then later, but she was older than me. Anyhow, you could go down to Liverpool and get the bus. So that's what I did. And so my hubby was my partner and continued to be my partner. And uh, it was a long romance. We learned together. And, of course, it was ideal for, you know, for the rest of our lives to dance. And he used to call us Fred Astaire and Virginia Rogers. Mary didn't particularly want to be a nurse. When I was at school, I wanted to be a teacher. I don't know how the nursing came in, but I knew people who nursed and I cousins who nursed and that and that's really probably I just decided. She was offered nurse training places in London but she turned them down in favour of Liverpool because it was nearer to Ireland. I applied to a few places. I got into Guy's. I could have gone to Guy's. I could have gone to New Cross. Is New Cross in Wolverhampton or Birmingham? And this one. And I decided to come here because it was the nearest to Ireland to get home basically. Nurse training was tougher in her day than it is now. It's all right, you know, it was hard. It's not the same these days, is it? It was made easier when so many of the other students were also from home. Oh, yes. There was loads of Irish nurses. Mary remembers the Liverpool bus drivers would let the nurses go on the bus for free. They used to, yeah, the drivers. um, In the nursing home, we were in the nursing home for a while and then we got a flat, the three of us together. And the drivers always let you on the bus for free. They wouldn't do it now. Because they knew you were a nurse. nurse. Yeah. And they'd always let you on for free. That was nice of them, wasn't it? They wouldn't do it now. But how did they know you were a nurse? Because they knew where you were going. You had your uniform on sometimes, you see. And they'd let you on. Go on. That was a bonus, really, wasn't it? That was a bonus. So were you proud of being a nurse, Mary? Yeah, I am, actually. Mary actually retired in her early 60s, but then went back to work and is still working as a nurse in Liverpool. She had just completed a shift before she sat down for this interview. You're still nursing? She did yeah. a 12-hour shift yesterday? I did a 12-hour shift yesterday. I didn't get home till 10 o'clock last night. You didn't really retire, really. I went back and um, joined an agency and then this is where I am now. Yeah, but I enjoy it. If you enjoy it, it's OK. The young ones today can't do it. As a no-nonsense Irish nurse working in the NHS, Margaret just got on with the job. But did she feel that Irish nurses' contribution to the NHS was acknowledged? Appreciated? Yes, because they weren't frightened to work and they got on with people, really. So it wasn't hard work for them, if you like, because they probably got used to us all. And, you know, in Ireland, everybody got on well. Absolutely, we weren't frightened to work and we mixed well. Yeah, they said that the Irish nurses were the best, yeah. Is Irish nurses' contribution to the NHS appreciated? Very much so. And the fact that they were sort of uh, maybe full of fun as well as seriousness and well as uh, delivering and conscientious and, you know, really something 
Something special. There's always something special about an Irish nurse. Even today, I think there's always something special. But that's prejudice, isn't it? So I won't say that. <laughs> All nurses are, are fairly well respected still. But in those days, it was even more so. I think they're very caring and conscientious, mm-hmm. really. And it's a career for them, not a career, a vocation. Do you reckon, yeah? Yeah, I do, reckon of it. I do reckon nursing is a vocation. I don't think it is anymore. Margaret and Annie reflect that the nursing profession is changing and not for the better. You just do your, do your best and just go with the flow. And again, the way we were all brought up, we had manners and respect. Unfortunately, that's well and truly gone. But we've held on to it. And I'm old-fashioned in so many ways, and a good, good ways. Well, but uh, we were all, it was always observant and we listened to people. An awful lot of people these days don't listen to people, don't even go up to them and talk with them either. Especially these days, they go from a distance, you know, they're over there and the patient is over there and they're just kind of shouting across the ward. I think, maybe I'm wrong here, that the training was better in those days because it's more computerised and we used to, we used to say you need to look at the patients in the bed or look at look under the bed covers, yeah, to really see the patient. Yeah, mm. I told that to my grandson. I said you're not nursing the computer, you're nursing the patient in the bed. So that's the one you look after. Thanks for tuning into the Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series. This podcast is brought to you in association with the Institute of Irish Studies, the University of Liverpool, London Metropolitan University, the London Irish Centre and the Irish Abroad Unit at the Department of Foreign Affairs. We would like to thank the Irish nurses in Liverpool for their contribution to the Irish nurses in the NHS podcast. In the next episode of the Irish Nurses in the NHS podcast series, we'll hear the stories about life in the nurses' home 